Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. Mike Fitzpatrick here with you on this week's edition of the Michigan Man. Joining me on our game day segment this week will be recruiting analyst Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports with his thoughts on the class of 2017. First, a few news and notes to get us started. The signing of the Stars last week was not as star-studded as last year's, but was still unique and got Michigan great media play nationwide. It also netted our best recruiting class of the modern era. Now, what does that mean? As Bo used to say on National Signing Day, when asked how good his class was, I'll tell you in four years. Here in the southeastern Michigan area, winter has been gray and dreary, but hardly what any of we Michiganders would call a hard winter, at least not yet. We're about to get a hint that spring is not that far away. This weekend, Michigan softball opens the season with five games in the Wilson D. Marini Tournament down in Tampa. There are only four seniors on this year's team, but we know this. Coach Hutchins has stocked the shells with plenty of talent. The fun begins this weekend. Baseball will open in Port St. Lucie next weekend with the four games set against Seton Hall. Michigan basketball has seven games left on the regular season schedule. Tonight, Tuesday, we're at home for a national game against Sparty. At 14-9, I would think we need to go 5-2 down the stretch, and even that might make us a bubble team. The way this team is playing right now, it is hard to imagine. The game tonight tips at 9 p.m. on ESPN. Then it's off to Indiana for a game against the struggling Hoosiers this weekend. John Beeline's teams traditionally get better late in the season. Let's hope that holds true this year. Jim Harbaugh has put together back-to-back recruiting classes that are loaded with talent, which is good because we are losing a boatload of it to graduation and what could possibly be a record-setting number of players drafted. On today's game day edition, Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports joins me with his thoughts on the class of 2017 and how soon they will make an impact here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze in Brew. game day segment this week as we take a final look back at this phenomenal 2017 recruiting class is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. Great to have you back with us again, Steve. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good as always. Before we start talking about the recruiting class, Steve, sort of off subject, but since everyone is talking about it this morning, the day after the Super Bowl, I almost walked away from that game in the uh, in the fourth quarter, I'm sad to say. What a performance, Steve, from Tom Brady and the Patriots. You know, it's funny. I'm going to have to give my cousin a little bit of credit here. He, uh, you know, sometimes you just say it, but uh, he called the comeback. And again, I don't know if he was just joking around or not, but 28-3, uh, to 3, Patriots were driving. And uh, he said, he's like, I got a feeling what's going to happen here. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I mean, I, it's amazing. I mean, the big thing for me uh, with Brady, I, I think station's over. Uh, I think he's done what he's needed to do. There's really no debating that he's the greatest quarterback of all time and, and maybe the greatest football player of all time. I mean, just to, you know, will his team back. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, just him. I think the Dante Hightower play, uh, that sack fumble was a was a turning point in the game. But 
to play the way he did, uh, most passing yards in the game, most completions in the game, largest comeback in, in Super Bowl history by far. Uh, we couldn't believe that 10 was the biggest comeback in the Super Bowl. When we were watching that they showed that graphic. Uh, you never really think about it. There really haven't been any you know, epic comebacks like that. So what a game. I think the NFL really needed it too. I mean, the, you know, the playoffs had been mostly a, a disappointment and outside of what probably Green Bay Dallas was a great game, but just a lot of blowouts. And, and that one looked like it was going to be for a while, you know, and, uh, but just an amazing comeback. I, I, the only thing I can't believe that I think the stat was that Atlanta only ran the ball like five times total after they got out to a 28 to three lead, which when you consider how well they had been running the ball throughout the game, uh, is just kind of mind boggling. So, you know, Atlanta gifted it a little bit, but New England took advantage. And uh, what Brady, Edelman, Hightower, like I said, I mean, just amazing performances across the board. Absolutely incredible to watch. I know my wife was, uh, she's not a huge football fan, was sitting there watching the game with me and said, do you think this will be it for Tom Brady? I mean, what more can he do? But, you know, when you talk to people that know Tom Brady, they say he's not done yet, could play another five years, which is unbelievable. I don't think he's, I mean, if you're playing at that level, you know, one of the only there there's every once in a while you'll see guys that'll that'll call it quits at when they're playing at a high level. But one I always think of is Nick Lidstrom, who who probably could have played a few more years for the Wings uh, at the level he was playing when he was done, but decided to you know hang him up while he was still playing at a high level. Barry too, but I think Barry was is a little was a little bit different. Just Barry's always been a different guy. But um, with Brady, I I don't really see what's the reasoning. I mean, really, I think the Patriots should be the favorites going into next year too, like why not make a run at, at number six? And and you think about the two fluke plays and, and their losses against the Giants. I mean, he's that close to having seven, which is just, you know, incomprehensible really. Uh, you know, so I, I don't see any reason for him to stop, but I'm not him. Obviously the one thing you saw yesterday, I think uh, as he's got, come along, gotten older, I think the family angle has, has become more of a uh, part of his public life and, and, you know, he loves his family. I think this was a, I think they said yesterday his, his mom, it was the first game she had been at for, in, for a long, long time or something with him. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you never know when that's how much of a factor that type of stuff will play into. But if, if you're talking about level play, I mean, he, he's still playing at a, at a higher level than anybody else right now, really. It was a great game, uh, great for Patriot fans, great for Michigan fans. And I'm sure we'll see Tom back possibly again in the Super Bowl next year. Let's yep. talk about recruiting now. Steve, we'll uh, get right to the meat and potatoes of things. Uh, for the second year in a row, Michigan uh, got great publicity with the signing of the Stars show, day, whatever you want to call it. It was different from last year's, but it was still quite unique, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, it was. And, and I actually like the way they did it this year with the fam, uh, with the keeping it sort of in the family, the Michigan family, uh, you know, with like Coach Hutch and, and Coach Plocky and uh, you know, having like university related figures involved, like former players out on the stage, like talking about, you know, the, the new signees and, and that kind of thing. I thought it was really well done. Uh, like I said, I, I, if going forward, I think I'd, I'd like to see him keep it that way. I mean, the celebrity angle was really cool in the first year and it got, you know, a ton of attention, but, you know, I like the idea of, of keeping Michigan involved. And one thing I really liked people maybe noticed, I'm sure some did, but uh, along the bottom line throughout the entire event, they were showing all the recruits Michigan's recruited in, in every sport, you know, which was really cool mm -hmm. to give, you know, every, all of those other players and, and those high school players and their families, like, you know, it's not a bunch of, not much attention, but it's more than what they ever would have gotten otherwise. So, you know, I think that, I thought that was really, really cool. And, um, you know, 11 really, really great kids too, that they're bringing in uh, as far as the early enrollees, it was nice to listen to them. 
you know, get to talk a little bit and, and, you know, these kids are more and more comfortable on the mic. Like every year it's, it's pretty neat to, uh, to see that. So I thought it went really well though. Well, it was another uh, unique day and what has become such a huge day for uh, college football fans and for um, not only these recruits, but future recruits. But isn't there some talk, uh, Steve, I was reading here and there in the last couple of months that the, the NCAA is going to uh, maybe go with an early signing period. And, and days like this, the uh, commitment day might eventually just go away. Big days like this. Yeah, it sounds like it's possible. I, I'm, I'd be interested to see what changes uh, with it. I I get the sense that some things would change, but I don't think it'd be uh, the big sweeping changes that some believe. Now, would it eliminate maybe, yeah, like a, what we had on Wednesday, possibly, which would be nice uh, for my, at least for what I do, because uh, those days are really hectic. But, uh, you know, I, as far as the how it will affect, like, the way teams recruit and stuff, I think one thing it'll do with an early signing period is it'll schools will be more uh, apt to standing behind scholarship offers, they might not throw offers out that they're not serious about. You know, sometimes they'll offer a kid just to get into the race type thing. And, you know, that kid might not be as uh, that level player. You know, Michigan offers scholarships to almost more players than any other team in the country right now. So, uh, you know, Michigan might be one of those teams affected, you know, by it because you can't, you can't do the push and pull when the kid can sign his papers that much earlier. So, you know, little stuff like that. That's what I'm interested to see if if this does go through uh, all the way. You know, I'll be interested to see what happens. But, you know, I don't think it's really going to affect too much, you know, in the macro idea. I think it'll be more micro style like changes and stuff. Well, most of us know by now who the uh, the 30 commits are. We've seen the list. We've been following this uh, a, a long time. It seems like it is such a long process, and you know better than anyone else. So let's uh, just take a look at this class by the numbers, some interesting numbers associated with this class, Steve. One of which, uh, the first surprised me, three five-star recruits, the most ever in a single recruiting class for the Wolverines. I would have thought we'd done it before, so that number did surprise me. You know, I was surprised too. You go back to like, uh, I want to say it was 03, 04. I think 06 was a really nice class. You know, but but this is the thing is like Harbaugh's brought it to a different level for them. He's he's attracted a an, an elite level of talent from different areas. And, uh, you know, they get three five stars in one class. I, I want to say, you know, they were really, they, they, we're in great shape for Isaiah Wilson for a long time too. Could have been a fourth. So, you know, really, really close there. And Najee Harris, you could throw in there as well. So, you know, they almost got a handful, you know, I think my thing is, I think as long as they keep winning and as long as they keep producing pros, you know, we'll see in April in the NFL draft, you know, then I think uh, multiple five stars in each class is going to be start to become more and more commonplace. So, you know, three's nice. Like I said, I, I bet they probably want a couple more of those that they missed on, but you know, it's, it's a good foundation. I mean, the, the statistics show, at least with the composite, if it's a composite five-star prospect, the odds of them at least being a very productive college player are very high. So you get, you know, some some high-impact players who could potentially play early and, uh, you know, make an immediate impact. Another number that somewhat surprised me was uh, four. Michigan signed the consensus top four players in the state, and those were Peoples, Jones, uh, Ambry Thomas, Joshua Ross, uh, Jalen Kelly, Powell. Very impressive. And of course, uh, Jim Harbaugh, since he got back here, we talk about that recruiting net that he's throwing out there, uh, not only in Michigan and Ohio. Look at all the states uh, he picked up players this year. Still very, very important to get the best right here, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, I think it was it was a storyline that was like was was properly 
measured earlier on, and then I think it got kind of forgotten near the end of the process here. You can't understate what they brought in, you know, as far as the in-state guys. I mean, you mentioned Corey Malone Hatcher or Darren Irving Bay or Duran Irving Bay, who I think is, is one of the top five players in the state, you know, so what they did, you know, to take advantage of Michigan state having an off season while holding like the Ohio States and Notre Dame's at bay. Cause that's kind of the one thing everyone thinks Michigan or Michigan state, but you know, Notre Dame, Ohio state can usually come in and get, you know, one or two of those guys. Uh, and they were able to hold them off, you know, from across the board. So, you know, I, I, it's, I think it's a huge, huge move for them. I think getting a guy like, like a guy like Ambry Thomas is probably somebody in the last five or six cycles before probably would have been signed with Michigan state, you know, so to win that recruiting race, I think was, really one of the two or three biggest wins for them on the recruiting trail. So yeah, keeping them in state is good, especially again, the one thing too, this in this in-state crop in 2017, one of the strongest, uh, you know, in a long time, you know, and that doesn't even include, that includes like guys that Michigan didn't sign, like talk about like a Hunter Ryzen out of Ann Arbor skyline, I think was a nice sign for Michigan state, uh, Mustafa, uh, the kid out of Dearborn Fortson, that Khalifa that they signed is a, is a really good uh, underrated player as well. So I think it was a really strong crop from top to bottom, uh, but you argue Michigan got, you know, could argue they probably got seven of the top eight players, you know, in the state this year. So uh, you got, yeah, you got to keep your best players home and to beat Michigan state, take advantage of that situation. You know, they really couldn't have done a much better job with that. Well, all along the way during the recruiting process, we keep an eye on, are we in the top 10? Are we in the top five? Are we going to finish uh, in the top five? And I guess uh, it depends who you look at. Uh, just about everyone has us in the top five. Were you surprised, though, that on that last day, USC sort of uh, bumped ahead of us? Going into signing day, I knew USC. We felt like USC was going to get pretty much all six guys that they were aiming for. I didn't know that they would pass Michigan, though. I was a little bit surprised to see that. But the thing is, I, what I looked at was, and what I told our readers was, if you look at Michigan's final number, and I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but in Pretty much every other cycle, except for this year's, it would have been a top two level class, you know, and so that's the way I look at it. I look at it like they signed a top three, top two level class. It just happened to be, if you look at the composite, the, the final rankings, if you look at teams one through eight, then there's a massive drop off from eight to nine, you know, so there were like a handful of teams that signed like really, really, really elite classes. You look at LSU close strong, Florida State close really strong. You know, uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia pretty much had the top three for, you know, the last, like, I don't want to say like three or four months at least. So, you know, those seven or eight schools uh, really put together some elite, elite classes. And uh, it's it's not for me, I don't look at it as like, uh, you know, they finish here or there. I, I really look at, I always look at it historically and look at the numbers. And then you look at, the, they signed 21 four stars. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. You know, I don't want to say 22 or 23, four or five stars, which like is the same amount as they had signed in the previous two classes combined. So, you know, I think it's a, they're, they built a lot of depth, but they built like high quality depth too. You know, there, there are a lot of guys in this class that I don't look at as like projects or, or guys that we'll see, we'll see kind of guys, you know, there's a lot of guys in there that it's like, it's going to be a real surprise if they don't end up becoming productive players. So, you know, top five, they finish around five or six. I think that's a top three class in any other cycle. So 
that's the way I'd be viewing it. And you know how some fans of recruiting are, Steve. Soon as it was over on Wednesday, I started getting emails, and I know you know this. People were happy, but they were sort of lamenting the fact, oh, we're behind Ohio State, oh, Alabama is so much better. But as you just alluded to, when you look at the top five or top eight classes in the country, which you would consider elite, there really isn't that much of a separation, is there? No, not really. And and the thing that people got to remember with like Alabama, Ohio State, I mean, these programs are in a different spot right now. I mean, they're they're in the midst of, you know, amazing runs. You look at what Meyer's done in the Big Ten, obviously what Alabama's done despite the loss against Clemson. I mean, these programs are at a different place right now than Michigan is. I think the fact that Michigan's recruiting at the high level they are when they've had two 10-win seasons, which is is great, but they haven't really accomplished some of the big things that that Harbaugh or any other coach, you know, wants to accomplish. So it's kind of like, you know, once they get to that level, you know, then then you'll see them at the very, very top, you know, year in and year out. I think 18 is a class where they have a shot to be, to be up there somewhere just because, you know, always a potential for another great season. But again, they're going to put so many players into the draft, and I think it's going to make such a huge impact on that class. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, you got to kind of have some perspective about it because – Alabama's had the number one class for who knows how long. I don't even remember at this point. It's like eight years in a row, something <laughs> ridiculous. You know, and then Ohio State, again, they put how many kids in the NFL draft last year, and they had a national title the year before that. I mean, that's kids are going to play for schools like that. I mean, it's just if you're a kid, you why wouldn't you? Or why wouldn't you at least consider those schools, right? So, uh, you know, Michigan's recruited pretty much at a not quite equal level with them, but about as well as you can do given the circumstances or given the context of, of where each respective program's at right now. With us here on our game day segment this week, as we take a final look back at the class of 2017, is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. Steve, Michigan had four number one players, four players who I should say were ranked number one at their positions. Peoples-Jones, uh, Anthony, and the IMG Academy Center's Cesar Ruiz were all number one at their positions and rivals. And Brad Robbins, who's that was a surprise to me, the Westerville South kicker, according to Corn Blue Kicking, he's rated the number one punter in the country and fills a big need. I don't know if we've ever done that before, Steve, looking back for players ranked number one at their positions. No, and then those are guys pretty much the, well, there's others, but People's Jones Ruiz specifically is early enrollees, guys that can make an impact like on day one. And uh, Anthony Drew Singleton at linebacker. So they the other thing too, Mike, they signed, I want to say they signed the number one player in New Jersey, Iowa, New Mexico, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Michigan. I want to say there might be another state in there somewhere. You know, so it's it was a it's such a diverse but elite class, both by position and by uh, the, just the geographical like landscape of where they recruited. I mean, Texas, uh, Florida is always, they got Aubrey Solomon out of Georgia, you know, even the punter. Yeah. Even Brad Robbins out of Ohio. I mean, you know, guys from all over the country. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's just a situation where these, these kids know, a, there's an opportunity to play early. You know, some of these guys look at the depth chart, they see what Michigan was losing, you know, so an elite guy can, you know, they can look him in the eye and say, hey, there's a real shot you could play early if you come in and compete. You know, and then also, again, Harbaugh produces pros. And uh, that's what these kids, I still think that's the biggest thing a kid wants is is to get a good education and, and go to the pros eventually. So not really a surprise to me. The guys that you mentioned, too, pretty much were Michigan locks. Like, you know, the Brad Robinson was a last-minute uh, situation. I think they... 
figured once they missed on like a Mecca Becton, uh, I figured they thought they had another scholarship open instead of maybe reaching for an offensive lineman that was lower on their board. Uh, you know, they'd use the scholarship on, on a punter, which, you know, was a little bit of a need for them. So I thought that was a nice kind of one of those pickups, you know, it's never going to get the publicity that an Aubrey Solomon is because he's a punter, but your punters like field position is so important to these coaches and coaching staffs. Like that kind of one of those, like, really nice wins for them that they could have just banked on until signing day, offer him a scholarship and then, and then bring him in. I mean, I know they're really, they're really, really high on him, you know, high enough to offer him obviously. So uh, kind of one of those stealth, stealth wins in that regard, but yeah, lead across the board, you know, just, just a great deep class and, and top heavy at, at the positions they needed. Well, this thing with the, uh, the Westerville South kicker, Brad Robbins, that fascinated me on signing day because I, when we offered and he accepted, I thought, well, who is this kid? And then I started, you know, Googling information on him. And here he is, according to Cornblue, kicking the number one punter in the country. And so I thought to myself, how does a guy that's ranked number one in the country hang around and have options on National Signing Day? So I I think he was verbally committed to Nevada, which, again, if you're the number one kicker, Cornblue is usually pretty accurate as far as their kicker rankings go. You know, but for him to only be verbally committed to Nevada, I think Illinois offered him as well recently. Uh, but you know, that's where Michigan's going to speak volumes though. I mean, a Michigan offer holds so much weight. You know, there are a lot of other schools I imagine he could have been committed to or Michigan, you know, could have flipped him on the last day. So I I think it was, a they Partridge, Chris Partridge went out to see him about a week before signing day. And I think the, pretty much the agreement was it was going to be contingent on whether or not Michigan had scholarship room or not. They did, they offered and, you know, it was over. So like, you know, for a guy to get a guy out of Columbus, uh, number one punter level guy is a, is a nice little win. Like I said, and, uh, it's just, it is indic it's indicative of what a Michigan scholarship means though. I mean, to not even, th- I don't even think he's visited to be honest with you. So, um, you know, commit to commit and sign sight unseen is, uh, just a, a big thing, big thing for Michigan. And, and Michigan's one of those only types of schools that can do that. You know, not a lot of schools can just offer a guy on national signing day and, and flip his commitment like that. So pretty neat little story. Yeah, it really is fascinating. And he's uh, going to get a chance to walk right in. You would think and compete for that starting punting job. I I think so. I mean, that's one of the kind of the understated losses. Everyone keeps talking about the the defensive line losses and and linebacker, but Kenny Allen has been so valuable to this team the last two seasons. And, you know, he's, you could argue he's going to be the toughest player for them to replace. You know, and I think that that I absolutely think that Robbins could come in and play right away next year. I think the other guys they have like uh, Tice and uh, is it Fug? I think are are both like preferred walk-ons or walk-on level players. You know, so to offer guys scholarship means hey, they think you know they think this guy is capable of coming in and playing right away. So, you know, that's again I always say this during the season too, like when we're doing just team-based stuff. Is it's nobody ever wants to talk about how important special teams is, and it is so pivotal to the success of a team you know like it's it always gets understated which is why a guy like brad robbins is a guy you could argue could make the earliest impact of anybody you know if he comes in and 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 showcases what the coaches have seen in him on, seen in him on film and, and in person so yeah it, it'll be really interesting to see if he walks in and plays right away because the needs there you know like i said as much as it is any other spot where they're losing guys uh it's as big as need as those are Absolutely. And I'll get off the uh, the punning thing in a second here, but I, I remind fans, uh, you mentioned how important Kenny Allen was to us last year. Just think back to the Ohio State game, how many times 
he buried them in bad field position. Uh, it was at most of the game. He he made a huge difference in that game. Absolutely. I mean, never mind even with the punts, but in his his field goal kicking too. I mean, did he? I don't think he missed after the Wisconsin game. Think about the kick at Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a kick that could have won him the game. You know, should have really, if you look at you know, the way the game played out, should have won them the game. I mean, that was in freezing cold weather. The ball was probably like a rock when he kicked it. You know, but he he sunk it from was it like fifty yards out or so. Mm-hmm. You know, just just you know his. I I was I always believed you know after the Wisconsin game and they were taught his job was up for grabs. It's like I never really bought that too much because he'd been so consistent for them for so long. I mean, every everybody's gonna have an off day at some point and, and he held true with that. So, you know, it's not only was he accurate, but he was, he was making some big kicks for him. And like you said, to double down, to be a punter slash kicker is not easy. Like people think he just kicked the ball, but it's not easy at all. And and he was one of the country's best really in both, in both areas. So now once say Michigan special teams finished like somewhere in the top for so the FEI field position ratings is something I always look at every year. I always think, you know, field position, is pivotal and it's the only thing I can find that really tries to measure it and Michigan finished somewhere in the top 10 on both ends of the ball as far as where they started which you could probably argue Jabril played a big role in that and then on the other side defensive field position which is where Kenny Allen was so valuable in that regard so yeah, huge loss for them. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where that goes next year. Well, 11 of the 2017 signees already enrolled at Michigan uh, early to get a head start in the classroom, which is vitally important. And with the playbook, these guys are going to be able to play in the spring game, even go on the team's spring trip to Rome. And you really can't understate how important that is, can you, Steve? No, not at all. You know, the biggest thing, too, I think, as far as being able to enroll early is, is the idea that these guys can can acclimate themselves to the campus life too. I mean, that's something that people don't really talk a lot about. But you know, being being a student athlete and, and managing your time between the classroom and, and and the field is is not easy. It's not easy to to learn. It's not easy to to you know figure out. And so these guys get a little bit of a head start in that regard to acclimate themselves to a you know a regular class schedule and getting their homework done at what time and working out and stuff like like that. So I, I always feel like that's one of the more understated, you know, values of, of getting these guys in early, but, uh, but obviously, you know, the play, learning the playbook, getting in the weight room with the team, like, you know, learning the, the workout regimen, the nutrition aspect of everything, you know, is really, really huge too. And uh, I mean, there, you know, there's a reason schools try to get as many guys to enroll early as they can. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of value into it and, and Michigan needs, you know, you could argue they might almost need a couple of these guys to, to come in and, uh, at least make some kind of impact right away. So, you know, to get 11 of them on campus was really, really big. I got to say, it's probably the most they've ever had enroll early, probably by far. I think maybe last year probably was the second most. So, you know, it's uh, 11 guys, five or six or which are guys I think could make an immediate impact for them. So, a uh, really big deal. Well, Steve, let's talk a minute about a position group on this uh, team in this recruiting class that just jumps off the page at me, and that's a wide receiver. I cannot believe what a haul. It, to me, it's I, I couldn't believe you could talk four kids of that caliber all into coming in in the same class. Uh, you wonder, are there going to be enough balls to throw around to these guys? You know, that will be interesting to see. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, I think you, I think you could argue maybe uh, Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, somewhat similar style players that Donovan's a little more athletic. I think Tariq's a little bit better at maybe high pointing, high pointing the ball, uh, you know, in the red zone, but the, you know, Oliver Martin, Nico Collins, Brad Hawkins, I mean, they're all kind of different style 
receivers. I mean, it's a very unique group where I think they can find a role for each one of these guys. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they distribute it or how the wealth gets spread around. Because one thing I know about covering wide receivers as long as I have is they they want the ball, you know. So it's uh it's it's going to be really interesting. I thought the fact that they got back in on Oliver Martin and signed him was massive. I mean, that was such a huge. I I think I'm such a believer in his game. We are at 24/7 too. I think we have him in the top 50 overall. We have him ranked like 47th overall, which is a lot higher, I think, than the other recruiting services. So, you know, I we're big believers in his abilities. Uh, I watched him for a week in San Antonio. He has a very smooth, fluid style uh, to his game. And, and the one thing, too, about Martin specifically, he's super, super tight with Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, the two were inseparable down in San Antonio for the Army Bowl. I almost kind of think at the Army Bowl is kind of where Michigan picked their interest back up a little bit in him. So, uh you know, you had Nico Collins in too. You know, my, my thought was when they when they started to push for Oliver Martin, that probably meant that the Nico Collins to Georgia stuff was was legit, and uh, which had kind of been heading that way for a little while. Uh, but but Nico really a limitless ceiling in my opinion too. Six uh, five can move. You know, he didn't have the greatest senior year, but I, I don't think that takes away from what kind of player he is in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there was a Nice, nice win. Again, you get a kid out of Alabama. I know they kind of led for him throughout, but it's still a significant win. And uh, he's a true red zone target. I mean, he's a guy that you throw the ball up to and let him do his thing. So really diverse but elite group of kids. Uh, you know, even Brad Hawkins. Watch Brad Hawkins' film. I mean, it's unreal. You know, we, we I think we had him as a three-star, but more of because of the prep school thing. Um, prep school guys are hard with their – rarely ranked like four or five stars. I don't, I don't know the logic behind that. I don't really do the rankings. So, um, but that's where he was at, but his film's amazing too. I mean, you've seen him like jump over people and like do all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you can't forget about him. He's always kind of the forgotten guy, but, but really another, you know, potential stud for them. It, it It's one of the storylines of this class. that will be interesting to see play out is who emerges out of that group or how that group, how each guy ends up you know, performing in Ann Arbor. And how quickly some of them emerge. Uh, I mean, we have some receivers coming back. Uh, how good they're going to be, we don't know. But this has now become, at least talent-wise, a very deep position. Super deep. And and like you said, I'm interested to, that, you know, wide receiver probably the most, some would argue the most interesting position to watch this season, just for that simple reason that they're not really returning a lot of production. You know, Eddie McDoom made a lot of plays, but not really in the passing game. You know, he was kind of the end-around specialist kind of guy. So, you know, between Drake Harris, who I still have hopes for as far as being a producer, uh, the one thing I would say about Drake is that uh, he and Wilton State are really, really tight, really, really close, uh, work out together in the offseason. You know, and I think that Drake's getting there. You know, he made, he showed it in flashes this season when he was on the field. And, and also you notice that Wilton tries to get it to him when he's on the field too. You know, so I think there's something there. And then you got, you got Mo Ways, uh, you got Nate Johnson is another one, I think, who could make an impact this season. And then uh, also Kakoa Crawford as well. So, you know, there's guys out there, and it's just going to be interesting to see who does emerge out of that group. But make no mistake that it, you know, very well could be a Donovan Peoples-Jones or Tariq Black or Oliver Martin, how quickly they get acclimated and, and how ready they are physically. 
Well, we shall see. We have time to let that develop. One of the position groups that I don't know if people have a little angst about or were a bit disappointed was the running back position. There was a lot of uh, focus on, uh, we know, uh, Najee Harris, but we have Omari Samuels coming in from New Mexico, who who just, you don't hear people talk a lot about. I know you, when you read his numbers, impressive. Uh, he had 44.5 inch vertical jump at Nike's uh, testing camp, the da- Dallas Regional uh, last year. And then we've got Kurt Taylor, who looks like a very solid prospect. So overall, I'm not one of those that's disappointed. I, it looks like we got two solid kids with the Samuels who from New Mexico who might be a sleeper. I would agree with Omori as a sleeper, you know, and, and here's the thing is, is you have to go after a Najee Harris. Like he's that good. Like it's the type of prospect that if you have a shot with, you have to fight for him, you know? And, and that, again, I, I know we talked about it before, but that mm-hmm. race was a lot closer than people think. A lot of people, you know, people think, well, he stuck with Alabama. It couldn't have been that close, but it really was, you know, it was a disappointing loss for Michigan, but you got Chris Evans coming back as a sophomore. Karan Higdon still got two years left. Kareem Walker, Kingston Davis haven't, you know, done anything yet or, or haven't like expired any of their true eligibility at this point. So they had a lot of young, they have a lot of young depth there that they can develop and, and build around. That's why they didn't pursue another one after they uh, missed on Harris, you know, which I, I think you always got to keep an eye on that kind of stuff. If they miss on a guy and they don't really pursue anybody else at the position usually means they at least feel pretty good, you know, about where they stand at the position overall. So yeah, Omori is definitely a sleeper. You know, the thing with Kurt Taylor is such an inter- interesting story. I mean, he's the longest committed kid, obviously loves Michigan. He always tweets about it all the time and, and you know, is, is very good at uh, promoting the, his love for the program on social media. Uh, but he's, he's a kid that Jim Harbaugh really liked and took a liking to. Uh, his recruitment was entirely a, a Jim Harbaugh thing. Harbaugh offered him. Uh, Harbaugh accepted his, his verbal commitment. And then Harbaugh went out and saw him you know, a couple of days before signing day, you know, before they sent him his letter of intent. Uh, I'm interested to see what he turns into. I think some would argue he, that Michigan could have recruited a better player at running back. Uh, I don't necessarily, like, I think there's something to be said about kids that have such a dying, undying passion to play for the program. And, you know, I think Kurt Taylor is the type of kid that's going to be a huge asset for the team uh, both on and off the field. You know, I think he's a, he's, his mind's right. Uh, I think he's a, a kid that's going to push other players to be better. You know, his, his motto, his hard work is undefeated motto is something that he, you know, loves to talk about. Uh, but, you know, at very, it was interesting how it finished out. Um, but I think the two guys they got uh, are going to suffice. Uh, and it'll be interesting again, much like wide receiver. I'm interested to see how these two guys, how their careers end up in Ann Arbor. Just, uh, intriguing an intriguing duo i guess would be the best way to put it well steve two big time classes uh, back to back for coach jim harbaugh and he is setting one solid foundation isn't he like i said you get 21 four and five stars in one class that's not just building depth it's building like high quality depth you know and and again it's my i've always i'm always enamored with who turn who pans out who doesn't you know because you have so many great kids and it's not every single one of them i mean it's just a fact not every single one of them is going to see the field all the time and is going to become a great, great player there. I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible, you know, for that to happen, you know, but they've, I always, I always liken it to poker. Uh, the better t- the better hand you're playing with, the better chance you have to win. And uh, Michigan's building a nice hand. I mean, these two classes give them a chance to, again, in April, they'll get a lot of kids drafted and it'll give them a shot to, to start to maybe look at 2018 and say, you know, we only want to take the best of the best. It's not about building depth anymore. It's about bringing in as many elite 
prospects as we possibly can. So, I mean, just, just, I thought they did a great job shoring up the defensive line, especially in this class wide receiver too, like we talked about, but uh, you know, really pretty much across the board. I mean, you could argue that they shored up and and have gotten better. Well, as you said, we wrapped it up for 2017 and now we turn our attention to the class of 2018. So just a, a final thought, Steve, how much smaller do you think this class is going to be? It should be smaller. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it was not smaller than this class, especially. I mean, you you know, it's one of those things where we might not know the answer until signing day next year. Uh, you know, you, well, you look at the Brad Robbins thing. I mean, they could have easily signed 29, but they decided to offer one more kid on signing day. So that's like, that's always how it goes. But 20 has kind of been the baseline number that I'm operating on. But again, I mean, you, you never know how much attrition is going to take place, you know, from here until next year. So um, I'd 18 to 22, but probably more towards the 22 side, just based on, uh, you know, attrition history under and under Harbaugh led teams. And uh, also too, you know, how many elite guys are going to want in? Cause if they, it's hard to turn these kids down, you know, if, if they get, you know, who knows if they got three, this five stars this year, if, if you got four that want in and he's the last guy that wants in, like you're going to find a way to get him in. So uh, you know, it's always push and pull, but but I say 18 to 22 with more towards shading towards the 22 side of things. Well, with us today in our game day segment, as we've wrapped up the class of 2017, has been Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports, who has been joining us uh, all year as we uh, keep track of this because Steve knows you do it every day, Steve. People can't get enough of uh, the recruiting talk. So next month, we're going to turn uh, to the class of 2018 because everyone wants to know about that already. So we will get you back on and start looking at that next class of 2018. And as always, we thank you for your time and we look forward to the next visit. Thanks as always, Mike. Appreciate it. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the Vsporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, men's basketball in action tonight at home against Michigan State. There are seven regular season games left now, and you would think we need at least five more W's to get NCAA consideration. Right now, that seems like a long shot. Things can change, though, and they have to, starting tonight, against the Spartans. The University of Michigan women's basketball team entered the Associated Press poll on Monday afternoon for the first time since January 21, 2013 and the 16th time in school history, coming in at number 21. The Wolverines are 19-5 and on the season, the best record through 24 games in school history. They have won four straight and sit in third place in the Big Ten with an 8-2 and record. This marks the third AP poll appearance under coach Barnes Arico. The USA Today coaches poll will be released today, Tuesdays when we're recording. Michigan was just outside the top 25 in last week's coaches poll, with its 62 points leading others receiving votes. Michigan will be back in action tomorrow on Wednesday, traveling to Purdue to take on the Boilermakers at 6 p.m. U of M's next home game is on Sunday against Wisconsin at 2 p.m. Hockey held a 5-3 lead late into the second period before being defeated by Ohio State 6-5 on Saturday night at Yost Ice Arena, splitting the weekend series with the Buckeyes following a 5-4 win on Friday night. 
The Wolverines will play Michigan State for the Iron D Trophy on Friday at 7.30 p.m. at the Joe Louis Arena. After the duel in the D, the two teams will head back to Ann Arbor for the series finale on Saturday night. U of M is 9-13-2 overall, 2-7-1 in the Big Ten, heading into this week's action. Believe it or not, Coach Hutchins and Michigan softball will get the season started this weekend in the Wilson D. Marini Tournament in Tampa. On Friday, they will play Delaware and St. John's. Then on Saturday, their first big test of the year, an 11 a.m. matchup with Florida, followed by an afternoon game with the University of South Florida. On Sunday, Michigan will wrap up the opening weekend against Illinois State. The Wolverines have only four seniors on this year's team, but plenty of young talent. This much we know. It's not a rebuilding year. It's a reload year. It's good to have softball back on the scene. Coach Bakich and Michigan Baseball will get their season started next weekend down in Port St. Lucie, where they'll play a four-game set with Seton Hall. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on us. Our free show app is available from the Google Play and iTunes stores, and you can also find us on iHeartRadio. Just do a search for The Michigan Man and add us to your favorites. Thanks again to Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports for joining us to recap the great football class of 2017. He'll be back again next month as we, you guessed it, start looking at what's happening with the class of 2018 already. That will do it for this week. Thanks for joining us, and please tell your friends and family about the show and join us again next week. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!